When we take time to read the Christian scriptures together, we believe that we're doing more than reading words from an ancient text. We believe that God is actually still speaking to us through these words. So do you take a moment of silence with me to just clear our minds and quiet our hearts so we can listen to what God is saying to us through these words today? Our scripture today is from the book of Psalms the prayer book of ancient Israel. It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name most high, to proclaim your loyal love in the morning, your faithfulness at nighttime, with a ten-stringed harp, with the melody of the lyre, because you've made me happy, Lord, by your acts. I sing with joy because of your handiwork. How awesome are your works, Lord. Your thoughts are so deep. Ignorant people don't know. Fools don't understand this. Though the wicked spring up like grass and all evildoers seem to blossom, they do so only to be destroyed forever. But you, Lord, are exalted forever. Look at your enemies, Lord. Look look at how your enemies die, how all evildoers are scattered abroad. But you've made me as strong as a wild ox. I'm soaked in precious ointment. My eyes have seen my enemies' defeat. My ears have heard the downfall of my evil foes. The righteous will spring up like a palm tree. They will go strong like a cedar of Lebanon. Those who have been replanted in the Lord's house will spring up in the courtyards of our God. They will bear fruit even when old and gray. They will remain lush and fresh in order to proclaim, The Lord is righteous. He is my rock. There's nothing unrighteous in him. Psalm 92, 1 through 15. Thanks, Talia. I came across these words this week from therapist and author Chuck DeGroat. He noted our weary, workaholic, worn out, and wounding ways. You gotta love some good alliteration, especially when it hits on like the soul level, especially when it sounds oh so familiar. Our weary, our workaholic, our worn out, our wounding ways. I sat down earlier this week to work on this message. There were other things I needed to get done. There were other things on my to-do list. Uh, At the time, we had an issue come up this week with our car insurance. We recently switched companies, and I found out I needed to get an updated document to them. So I I got on the phone trying to get that resolved. I was like, I want to do this. I feel like it's hanging over my head, so I want to call them. I want to get it resolved, and then I'll get to my sermon. I feel like it's hanging, and I got to get it done. So I called them, and I didn't get it done. It was not resolved. And then I got this email that was like, we need more paperwork from you if you're a kid to go to preschool. And so I just felt like my to-do list was growing and getting more complicated. And I really just wanted to work on my sermon. And Jack, our youngest, he was napping. He was napping through all of this. And so I had this like window when the baby was napping that I could work on my sermon. And so I went to check on him. We have an app on our phones that's our, our baby monitor. So I pull up the app, it has like a live video and, and sound of what's going on in his room, and I pulled it up, uh, ready for a sleeping baby, and there was this like thumping, like EDM music, like blasting in his room, like full blast. Because I, when I put him down, I said, Alexa, play brown noise, it's like soothing, you know, ambient sound, and Alexa was like, club remix, got it. <laughs> 
So I pull up the app, and it's just blasting. And I'm like, Alexa, Alexa, shh. You know, I'm like, do not wake my baby, because I have a window of time to call Progressive and get this preschool paperwork and write the sermon about rest, and I can feel the anxiety, like, in my chest, trying to get it all done. And you're not helping, Alexa. And that was, like, one 30-minute window of my week. That was like one 30-minute window on Wednesday. There were other moments in my week, if I start to like play it back in my mind, like review my calendar, let the real play, like there were good moments and there were hard moments. There were really good conversations and there were really hard conversations I had this past week. There were life-giving moments and there were absolutely draining moments. What about you? When you think about your week, all that transpired leading up to this moment, this gathering, how did it go? We're in a series all summer on this ancient practice of Sabbath. And I don't know for you what comes to mind when you even hear the word Sabbath. Maybe you don't think much about Sabbath. Maybe Sabbath feels kind of archaic, irrelevant, and practical. Like, who has time for that? Maybe Sabbath just feels really impossible. Maybe Sabbath feels like sort of like a throwback like some sort of like religious legalism, like a bunch of rules. Maybe you've been practicing Sabbath for a while, and so you kind of want to check out right now. But to people caught in the weariness, in the wounding, in the burdens, in the work more, do more, produce more, God says, stop. Stop. Because we do feel weary and worn out and a bunch of workaholics running around We feel the the wounding ways of our world, the Sunday scaries and the loneliness epidemic, the hustle and grind culture, the burnout culture, the quiet quitting culture. I really relate to poor baby Jack, trying to nap, to the soothing sounds of blaring dance beats, to the noise all around him just cranked up. It feels like that all the time for me. I don't know about for you, but for me, it feels like the noise constantly just cranked endless notifications, and did you get that email, and can we circle back, and anxiety ratcheted up, collective trauma, weariness, and it just feels hard for me to catch my breath. And I really want to catch my breath. And I feel like maybe more than anything this summer, I need to catch my breath into a weary, worn-out, workaholic, wounding world. God says, stop. Six days work, seventh day, stop. Stop. Okay, stop and what? So far, we're just a few weeks into this series, and we've seen that Sabbath is actually an invitation into the life of God, to participate in the life of God, the joy and delight of God. Because Sabbath is actually more than simply a practice, it's a sign. It's a sign of the world as God intended. It's a sign of God's justice. It's a sign that Jesus is making all things new. Last week, Chuck preached on Sabbath as justice. If you missed that, I encourage you to go to our website. You can find his message and all the previous messages there. And tonight, we're looking at another facet of of Sabbath, Psalm 92, that Talia just read. If you open your Bible, if you turn to Psalm 92, there's likely a notation before you even get to the words of the psalm, and it likely says something like this, a song for the Sabbath day. A song for the Sabbath day. And we read in verse 1, it's good, it's good, it's good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, Most High. 
And then we read in verse 2, to proclaim your loyal love in the morning and your faithfulness at nighttime. Today we're talking about Sabbath as worship. Six days, work. Exert yourself. Put your back into it. Lift with your legs. Log in, log on, clock in, clock out. Earn that paycheck. Do those dishes. Partner with God's work and God's activity in the world. Seek the flourishing of those around you. But on that seventh day, stop. Stop and worship. A day to intentionally respond to God, to God's goodness, to God's beauty, or as the psalmist draws out in verse 2, to respond to God's loyal love and faithfulness. God's loyal love and faithfulness. And what's translated as loyal love here, it's a rich, beautiful word in the original Hebrew, the, the idea of God's steadfast love. God's, I'm committed to you no matter what, love. God's, I'm committed to you no matter what, and I will not let you down, love. Stop, pause, catch your breath, and recenter yourself in the steadfast love and faithfulness of God. I heard the story this week of a Scottish minister named George Matheson. And when he was 18 months old, when he was just a, a baby, a condition developed that caused his eyesight to slowly deteriorate. So by the time he was 20, he was almost completely blind. His fiance found out about this condition, found out that it was irreversible, and, and she said, I can't marry you. She left him. And he actually never married. He had an older sister, though, an older sister, Jane, who helped him in his studies and his ministry. And she learned Greek and Latin and Hebrew. Brilliant older sister. She learned all those languages to help him in his ministry. And his sister obviously became so dear to him, this, this companion, this friend. And then when he was 40, his sister got married. Of course, like such joy for his sister, but also a lot of grief. That was his dearest companion in life. Such grief over his own losses as well. And there are some accounts that the most famous hymn that he wrote was written on the eve of his sister's marriage as he confronted this mix of joy and, and deep sorrow. You might know his most famous song. You might be familiar with this hymn. If you're not, don't worry. I'm going to sing it for us now. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I would never do that to you. You might know it. It's called this, O oh, love that will not let me go. O oh, love that will not let me go. I rest my weary soul in thee. It's said that he wrote this song in five minutes, an outpouring. He said he never even went back to edit it. Just this outpouring in this place of sorrow and joy, grief and loss, oh love that will not let me go. The psalmist in Psalm 92 is writing of a love that will not let us go. And it's a song for the Sabbath day. Every seventh day, stop people of God, and sing of God's loyal love. Every seventh day, stop and proclaim God's faithfulness, this rhythm of work and rest, six days work, seventh day, stop and worship. Be drawn into the presence of the living God and allow God's spirit to recenter you in the reality of God's presence. What do you think of when, you, when I say the word worship? What, what comes to mind? Does worship equal singing? Does it automatically like, bring up connotations of, of praise songs and 
chord charts and hymns? Is it an hour on a Sunday? Well, here's what we find in Romans chapter 12 from the message paraphrase. So here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Take your whole life, all of it, and live it before God as an act of worship. That worship is this 24-7 response to God's goodness and beauty, this all-of-life response to who God is in our ordinary, everyday life. And there's also a rhythm. Every seventh day, stop and worship. Now, not everyone can take a Sabbath on a Sunday. I I don't. I work on Sundays. And for many others in our 24-7 culture, People do shift work or work weekends or or work rotating schedules. So whatever day might be a Sabbath for you, here's the key idea that you and I were made to worship, to respond to God's goodness, to enjoy God, to delight in God. And what does that look like for you? Every seventh day to, to stop and to intentionally respond to God's goodness as part of your Sabbath, to respond to God's beauty. I think it depends a little bit on your personality, on your temperament, on your wiring. It could be a hike you go on, surrounded by God's good creation. It could be a time of solitude and silence. It could be a dance party in your kitchen, a meal with friends. But today, just for a few moments, I want to talk specifically about what we do when we gather as a Nova community on Sunday nights, as we respond to God's goodness together. Of course, different communities, different churches will gather in different places. Maybe it's a house, maybe it's a park. It could be anywhere. But for us, as we gather in this space, we do it together. And that's so key, this idea that it's not just me and Jesus. It's not just this this individual thing, but in the company of God's people, that we encounter God's presence in a unique way when we do it together, in a particular way when we do it together. Like, yes, God is always present and at work and the Spirit is in you, but there's something unique that happens when we come together as the people of God to worship Jesus. It's what the church did from, the, from its beginning. In the earliest days of the church, Christians gathered on the first day of the week Remembering that that was the day that Jesus was raised from the dead. That was a shift from Jewish practices, where the Sabbath was Friday sundown to Saturday sundown. This was a shift for those early Christians, recognizing that first Easter when Jesus walked out of the tomb and believing that that was the dawn of new creation, to gather and worship in the presence of the risen God, to take up the same practices week after week, what the church has been doing for millennia. Like, we're just falling in line with what the people of God have been doing century after century after century, singing together in adoration, praying together, reading scripture publicly, listening to teaching from scripture, breaking bread together as we come to this table, and the whole time believing that God is here. St. Augustine famously talked about how our souls are restless until they rest in God. And we feel that. that Our souls are restless until they rest in God. And that resting in God together, that enjoying God together, that's worship. So that 
as soon as I'm done talking, which could be five minutes from now or 20 minutes from now, I don't know, but when we leave this place, we go into the rest of our week more awake to the presence of God. The people of God gather, and then the people of God scatter. And because of our time together, because of what God is doing, because the Spirit is here, we trust and believe that we go from this place more awake to the presence of God, more attuned to see what God is up to around us, and our hearts more tuned to sing God's praise. Week after week, whatever your week was like, coming together to be recentered in the presence of God. Author and uh, pastor Wayne Muller puts it like this, like a path through the forest. Sabbath creates a marker for ourselves. So if we are lost, we can find our way back to our center. I think I am tired in part because I'm carrying things I was never meant to carry. Because I was, I'm carrying things I was never meant to carry on my own. All, all week, I kind of wrestle and carry this idea that it's up to me, that's all riding on my shoulders. I carry this false belief at times that, that what I can see is all there is. Like whatever's scrolling on my newsfeed in front of me, that's all there is. I, I carry this false belief a lot of times that I have to grasp for control to kind of lock things down, that I have to grasp for security, that I have to work my way towards belonging. I don't know what you might add to that list of these false beliefs we carry through our week, and every seventh day, stop. We're invited to stop, to take up the practices that the people of God have been taking up for millennia, to allow the spirit of the living God to recenter us in the presence of God. For in our worship, we acknowledge that God is God, and I'm not. God is God, and we're not. In worship, as we come together, actually allows us to kind of shrug off the weight of the world, to lay down the things that we were never meant to carry, and certainly never meant to carry alone, to receive the good gifts of God's grace. Now, I know coming into a public worship service for a lot of different reasons can be hard. It's a very vulnerable act to show up, especially for the first time or the first time in a long time. It takes a lot of courage. One reason that it can be hard to come to a public worship service is because of past spiritual harm or religious trauma, that just physically being present in a worship space can be so triggering for so many that your nervous system is dysregulated and, and your body kind of is screaming like, I'm not, I'm not safe. I remember talking to someone once who, who told me that just singing the same songs evokes so much of their past religious experience, and it was so hard just singing the same songs. And if that's you, I, just, I do just want to acknowledge your courage. Maybe it took all that you have to be here tonight. I want to say I'm sorry for the harm that was done to you. And may you be so kind to yourself as you're on this journey of healing, as you seek safety in God, going at the pace that you need. If you ever want to talk to someone, if you want to process your story with someone, if you desire safe community to process your story, uh, Franklin is a volunteer staff member here at NOVA who comes alongside folks to provide exactly that, someone to process with, safe community. He's sitting in the back there if you want to talk with him later. Now for others, if you're new to Christianity, the idea of worship might sound strange, like, are we just singing at the ceiling? Like, what is happening? 
Could a more profound transcendent experience be found by hiking Royal Arch Trail or going to a Red Rock concert? Like, aren't there more opportunities out there for a transcendent experience? Here at Nova, we believe that God is here in a very simple gathering and that every human being is made in the image of God, that each of us reflect God's glory into the world. And while God is always present with us no matter where we go, that we actually encounter God in a unique way in this space, in this gathering, that we can meet with God here in a way that we can't elsewhere because we're doing it together. Because God's spirit is here. That's why we sit in this arrangement. We're not just like facing uh, all the front. Uh, We're not just in a dark room where you can't see anyone. And we purposely set up the space this way that you can look across and see each other as awkward as it may feel at times, especially now that I'm drawing it out. Now you can't stop looking at each other. (laughs) To acknowledge that we're here as a community, that each of us can see God's image in the other person. In a minute, we're going to come to this table together as the people of God. There's a rhythm to the universe. Six days work, seventh day, stop. And allow yourself to be recentered in the reality of God's presence, a love that will not let you go. Author and pastor John Mark Comer puts it like this. I want you to hear these words. He says, Sabbath comes at the end of a great week, and it comes at the end of a horrific week. It comes right like a clock, in summer and in winter, when all is well and when everything is falling apart. To remind us, it comes as a reminder from God that it's okay, that we're not always okay. In those seasons of a dark night of the soul, when your prayers are unanswered, your dreams are empty, when God himself feels a million miles away, when God feels more absent than present in your soul, still even then, the Sabbath comes as a kiss from God. With this gift of peace, that even though it doesn't all make sense, it's okay because we have God. It's okay because when you have God, you're not alone, and God will bring good. Oh, love that will not let me go. I'm going to wrap up with this final thought as we get ready to come to the table. There's a lot of talk in our passage tonight about enemies. Maybe you caught that. God has enemies, you know, people who push against God, who seek to destroy God's good creation, this good world that God made, who try to control and and rule life, who try to hold the world in their hands and, and master it, and that inevitably leads to injustice and idolatry. It ends up in this restless striving and domination and oppression as, as people try to make themselves God. Yeah, God has enemies. But here's the thing. Before we start pointing fingers before we get up on our soapbox and start labeling people, before we start firing off some so-called righteous tweet, (laughs) truth is, it was us. That we were God's enemies. The Christian scriptures put it like this, while we were God's enemies, Christ died for us. That God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We gather in this place to worship the God who died for us, to bring us home, to restore us to God, who is making all things new, including us and this creation that God loves, who died for us to heal us and restore us, to defeat the ultimate enemies of sin and death 
and evil itself, who died to bring us peace with God and with each other. You rest your weary head tonight in the good news of who God is and the good news of what Christ has done. Friends, there is a love that will not let you go. So I invite you to pray with me now. God, I'm thankful that we get to come to this table, that we're not just going to talk about a love that will not let us go, but we get to come and experience your love here. So we pray, loving God, that you would speak to us what you want to say to us tonight. We pray that you would pour out your spirit, that we would know more of your love. In Jesus' name, amen.